Yeah, good morning. All right. As Kevin mentioned, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 21 today. So have you ever had a craving for something and gone out of your way to get it? All of us have, right? Sometimes uh, you go, it seems like the more trouble you go through to get it, the less rewarding it is. You know what I mean? Like, you just crave this, whatever. I, I remember one time uh, I had been on this, like, low-carb diet for a long time. I'm obviously not on that diet right now. But, but I would lost a bunch of weight, and I, the, all, the thing I kept thinking about is I wanted Rowley's French fries. And so I hit this goal weight, and, you know, I go... And I ordered two orders of Rally's fries. Now, if you've ever had Rally's fries, you know they're seasoned and they're from heaven. Uh, so I get driving down the road, bite into the first fry, and I'm like, what is this garbage? I, I had gone on the one day where Rally's ran out of Rally's fries. And they just had like regular, like, I guess like grocery store fries or whatever just to get them by. And I almost wrapped my car around a telephone pole. I was so mad. <laughs> After all that, it just it wasn't worth it. Or you think of, uh, you know, in sports, sometimes a, a team will think, you know, that what they need is this one player, and they'll, tr- they'll make all kinds of trades and everything, and they draft that one player, and, you know, they find out they need a whole lot more than just that one player. So usually when we, we set our happiness and everything on one thing, it's, uh, it tends to disappoint. You set your sight on a goal, and you get to that goal and realize that now there's more. Right? We're, my wife and I are working on an old home, and we've been remodeling things, and every time we get through one project, I realize, oh, there's three more. Right? It's, it's, I don't think that one will ever be done. But, you know, better, a better job can lead to better income, which somehow leads to bigger bills, and now you need more income. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But last week, Pastor Chris took us through 1 Kings chapter 20, and we saw Ahab, he went to war with Aram, which is uh, Syria, basically. And, and God gave him a victory, and instead of following God's word to the letter, uh, Ahab instead made a, a peace treaty with them, and God, you know, let him know that's that's not what I told you to do, and we're going and we're picking up shortly after those events. So we'll go to, get into our main text here in just a second, but we'll go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to help us understand this stuff. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us another opportunity to study Your Word and to worship together. Lord, we just pray that uh, You would open our eyes and our hearts, our spirits today to receive Your Word. That uh, we would know You better, we would be transformed by it. Uh, and Lord, we just pray for your will to be done through the message and in the hearts and lives of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 1 Kings 21, verse 1. It says, Now it came about after these things, that's the stuff in chapter 20, right? That Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it's close beside my house. And I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place. Or if you like, I will give you the price of it in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance 
of my father's. So that's, that seems like a, a harsh response to someone making a, you know, giving you a purchase agreement for your property. He was like, God forbid that I do that. But Naboth's following God's word. God had said that uh, the land that they received as an inheritance when they, re- when they entered into Israel was to be in their family line in perpetuity, right? You could lease the land for a period of time, but you were never to just give it away or sell it. It was to stay in your family line. Uh, and as a matter of fact, even if you leased it or, or mortgaged it, whatever you want to call it, after so many years, there was a period where it just went back to the previous person. And so he's following God's word. God said that this should be in my family line forever. So I, you know, I can't, can't give this to you. Verse 4, so Ahab came into his house sullen and vexed because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. It's like a toddler. You know, when they find out they can't have ice cream for breakfast. Right? He, just, he just goes and lays down. I'm not going to eat. I'm just going to stare at the wall. And this seems to be kind of a trend for him. right? Because the end of chapter 20, verse 43, it says, So the king of Israel went to his house, sullen and vexed. Right? He went to his house, bummed out, depressed. Right? It's almost like being king, it's almost like having riches isn't enough to satisfy. Right? You know, some of the happiest people are those who have little or nothing. Some folks who have been maybe on mission trips, you, you've seen that firsthand. But deep down, we all believe that, if, that I would be happier if I had more something, more stuff, right? more wealth, more something. The 10th commandment warns us that uh, covetousness, that's the, the passionate desire for what someone else has. It warns against that thing, against covetousness. That when we, you know, there's... There are plenty of laws, but the Ten Commandments are kind of a big deal. And God saw that covetousness was such a big deal for us that he had to put it in there. Because when we fall into that little trap, when we start to believe that stuff brings happiness, two things kind of start to happen. For one, we, we dishonor God. We start, to see, we start to see relationships in a transactional way, right? My relationship with someone is valued based on what they can give me, what I can get out of them. And that dishonors God. But we also, we start to find happiness becoming more and more elusive. Because, like we talked about earlier, there's always more that we need. There's always something else that comes after the thing that we think we want. Because there's no such thing as enough. Happiness is, uh, in f- is found in just a little bit more, is how we think of it. So a little test for you. Fill in the blank here. I would be happy if, right, just in your mind, I would be happy if. So we all have some ideas of what it would take for us to be happy. Problem is, is if the answer to that question, if the thing that goes into that blank is a material thing, or even a person, there's a problem. 
right? Because they can never fully satisfy. We'll move on. We're going we're gonna to see a little bit more about that. 1 Kings 21, verse 5. It says, But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen that you're not eating food? So he said to her, I'm just going to read it how I, I picture him saying this. Because I spoke to Naboth, Jezreelite. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else. If it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard, uh, give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Mean. So being a baby. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, do you now reign over Israel? Right? She says, you're the king, and you're acting like a little child. Arise, eat bread, let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. See, Jezebel has no problem with abusing their wealth and influence, especially if it will lead to more, right? To more wealth and to more influence. So we'll see what she has in mind. Verse 8 says, So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. That's, I believe that's forgery. Although, let's be honest, about half of you in here, if you signed your own check, the bank would call you because they'd think it was forged. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, so she sealed it with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with uh, Naboth in his city. Now she wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast, not a feast, a fast, and seat Naboth at the head of the table, and seat two worthless men before him, and let them testify against him, saying, You cursed God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. Now that's one way to uh, acquire some ground. Right? This is so gross, what she what she is planning. She, she basically, we're going to proclaim a fast, you know, a time where all of us are going to come together in, in mourning and, and deep spiritual, in, you know, seeking deep spiritual insight. And we're going to falsely accuse Naboth and have him put to death. It, it's, it's so gross because she couches all of it in religion and, and pageantry. And, you know, we're, we have to be careful because we're, we're guilty of this. Hopefully you're not putting people to death. But, you know, we've be, maybe betrayed a confidence in order to, to feel that little rush of power of being in the know. Right? Or maybe you've, you know, you've put in a prayer request for someone and made it sound spiritual. But it's a really good way to also kind of gossip about somebody. You know, we, we, like, to, we like that little jolt of power especially when, you know, it comes with a, a mask of, of righteousness. And so the people, they do exactly as she says. They, they follow through with her plan. We're going to skip a few verses here, go down to verse 15. It says, when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, and to take possession of it. 
Now, here's the thing. Naboth was really aware of how the laws of, of land possession and inheritance were, went. Ahab knew these things, too. And there's something kind of interesting. It says that Ahab just got up to go take possession of it. Well, there were some very specific laws in place about how land could be handed down. He, shouldn't, he still not, shouldn't be able to take possession of it unless Naboth has no family. We find out later in 2 Kings chapter 9, there's another little bit of this story that we didn't, don't get here in our main text. 2 Kings 9 verse 26, Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of what? The blood of his sons, says the Lord. Turns out they didn't just stone Naboth, they murdered his entire family to get this land. That's a serious real estate market. So they didn't just stone him, they, they stoned his whole family. That, I mean, that's an injustice, to say the least. And in, in the face of an injustice, you need super prophet. Remember him? Talked about him a few weeks ago. 1 Kings 21, verse 17. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. He's been off the scene for a little while, but he's apparently not done saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. I... I have to be honest, I thought about calling the message, Who Let the Dogs Out? But I was like, it's about ten years too late for that reference. But Verse 20, Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? It reminds me of like Batman and Joker meeting up, you know. It's a, we've got a hero and a villain, and Ahab looks at Elijah and he says, Ah, we meet again, my enemy. Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil. And the, 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 you'll see this word over and over. It means disaster. right? I will bring disaster upon you, and will utterly sweep you away, and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free, in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger, and because you have made Israel sin. Of Jezebel also has the Lord spoken, saying, The dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. The one belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. The one who dies in the field, the birds of heaven will eat. Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil, in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. We'll read that verse again. Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil. That's a pretty big proclamation, right? There's been one other king before this that God had said, this is the worst king ever. And now he's like, well, now you get that title. There's been no one like you as wicked as you. Verse 26, he acted very abominably in, the follow, in following idols, according to all that the Amorites have gone, done, whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. So there's nobody has done worse than Ahab up to this point. 
So there's obviously no hope for somebody like that, right? For the worst person, the worst king. You know, when I was seeking God, I, I remember I, I started reading the Bible basically because I wanted to prove it wrong. I grew up in a, a family that um, was very religious uh, and a little confused on some things, but I, you know, I knew there was a hell, uh, and I knew that I was probably going there, but I, I wanted to be able to you know, disprove my, my family you know, and be able to kind of stick it in their eye or whatever. And so I remember I was reading all the way through the scriptures, and, and I got to 1 Timothy, and this is generally not an evangelistic passage, but it's, what, it's how I came to faith in the Lord. Is Paul, I, I knew that this Paul guy used to be named Saul, and then he has this conversion experience, but before that he's murdering Christians. Uh, you know, he's having them put to death by stoning, which... In order for someone to be put to death by stoning, the, their accuser has to throw the first stone. So he participates in the death of every person that he has put to death. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, he says, It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all, or among whom I am chief, your translation may say. In other words, he says, I am as bad as a sinner can be. Yet for this reason, I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. In other words, Paul says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I'm as bad as a sinner can be. And he saved me so that you who know you've sinned but probably are not a mass murderer, right? You've probably not sinned on the scale he has. You can look and go, well, if he can, if he can be saved, I can be saved, right? If, if the chief among sinners can be saved, can find mercy, then I can and that's, that's the moment, I, I had that exact experience where I looked at that and I said, you know, I, I know I'm wicked. I haven't killed thousands of people. I haven't done the things Paul did. So apparently there's hope for me. And so there's hope for even Ahab, the most wicked king up to this point. No one is beyond the reach of a loving God, is the point. No one is beyond the reach of a loving God. 1 Kings 21, verse 27. says, It came about when Ahab heard these words, that he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted. And he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. His son's like, what the heck? Thanks, Dad. Right? But see, God knew Ahab's son is Ahaziah. God already knows Ahaziah is, he's going to earn every bit of this. Right? 
he's going he's gonna to follow in the, in the tradition that he's already seen and be just as bad or worse. But the point is that God doesn't ignore Ahab's repentance here. Psalm 51 verse 17 says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Right? If, if your heart breaks for what breaks mine, I notice that. In 1 Peter 5 verse 5, Peter says, You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, humility, we always like to say, you know, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Right? It's putting other people ahead of yourself. And God says, you know, when you, when you start to take yourself out of the driver's seat, that's when I get involved. That's when, when you leave room for me to work in your life. Now, we still reap what we sow, right? There are repercussions to our actions. You know, if you abuse your body for years and years and then you get cancer, that's, that's kind of what happens, right? If you abuse people in your life for years and years and then they distance themselves from you, it's reaping what you sow. So the repercussions of all of our actions don't just all magically go away when we, when we trust Jesus. But what does happen is that we change our course, right? We, we, are, we change our course. We, we, repentance is turning from something and turning to something else. So we're turning to God. We're changing our course from heading for judgment towards something better. And eternal life, you know, it's this one-time transaction. We trust Jesus for eternal life. And that decision is made, it's set in stone, but it doesn't exempt us from trouble in this life, right? There's still repercussions to how we live in this life, especially if we go on making the same mistakes over and over, there's still going to be repercussions to that. And so we're going to see, even though God, re- God shows mercy to Ahab, Ahab doesn't get everything in his life changed. And so we go to 1 Kings 22, verse 1. It says, three years passed without war between Aram and Israel. In the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. It's funny, last week we were talking about this, when you go up versus coming down, and we always think, well, because, you know, Judah is in, the, is in the south, but he comes down to the northern kingdom. But there was literal elevation involved. The southern kingdom was, uh, was higher. Um, I don't know why that is, but we think, like, if you're going south, that's down. If you're going north, that's up. There was a girl in our youth group that uh, we were talking about how to read a compass, and she was convinced that north was whatever direction you're facing. And I'm like, we're not letting you navigate, ever. Anyway, so in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. So remember, in kings, there's the kingdom is divided. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, there's Israel and Judah. And so the two kings are, are meeting together. Verse 3, now the king of Israel said to his servants, 
Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us and we are still doing nothing to take it from the hand of the king of Aram? The people he'd made a treaty with, right? And he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Right? He's like, we're family, sure. The reality is, there's a reason there's two kingdoms, right? They're very divided. They're not on the same page about things, but, but he's trying to go along to get along. Verse 5, moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire first for the word of the Lord. So, so Ahab, he's got peace with Syria. It's been a few years, and now he's looking at some of this land that he let Syria keep, and he's like, you know, I kind of kind of want more. I want to go ahead and take that. Even though we've had peace for three years, we're going to go to battle with them, but I need some help to do it. And Jehoshaphat is a decent, he's a God-fearing king, uh, although he's a little gullible. And you can read more about him in Second Chronicles, I think chapter 17 especially. But he agrees. He was like, okay, we'll go along and fight beside you. Uh, to his credit, he says, well, let's ask what God has to say even though I've already agreed to it. Right? That's, that's not how that works. Right? That's, he's already agreed to it. Now I'll ask God if it's okay. You know, sometimes you've got to be careful. Don't ask God to bless something he's not been involved in at all. It's like I feel guilty sometimes praying for God to, you know, bless this food to nourish my body, and it's like a double bacon cheeseburger with onion rings. And, you know, he's looking at it going, there's, what do you want me to do with this? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I can make sure you don't choke on it. But <laughs> I'm not filling it with vitamin C or whatever. <laughs> but to Jehoshaphat, at least to his credit, he's like, well, you know what? Before we go to war, we should see what God says. Uh, let's see. Yeah, verse, uh, verse 6, right? Did I lose my spot? Yeah. Uh, it says, Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they, and they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Okay. When 400 people all give the same answer. That's suspicious. Right? That's a bad sign. Right? When everyone is saying what you want to hear, it's a bad sign. You know, I've seen people, especially this past year, being really frustrated with feeling like, you know, the whole world views things differently than me and, you know, everybody's lost their mind and and all that, and I'm like, you know, that's a good thing. It's not good that people are thinking and feeling the way they're feeling right now, but it's good that you don't feel at home in this world, because as a Christian, this is not your home. We are strangers in a strange land. We are ambassadors for Christ. It should feel a little foreign to you. If you agree with the popular opinion on everything, that's usually a bad sign, because Jesus tells us that that broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many find it. Right? But narrow is the way of truth, the way that leads to eternal life, and few find it. 
And so these 400 prophets all agree. That's suspicious. But verse 7, it says, Jehoshaphat said, he must, you know, he must have been a little suspicious too. He says, is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. <laughs> Fair. I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Right? He's like, yeah, there's this other prophet, but all he ever tells me is that I'm doing wrong, and he doesn't tell me what I want to hear. He is Micaiah, son of Imaiah, uh, but Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. He's like, eh, don't say you hate him. Verse 9, then the king of Israel called an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, son of Imla. I read his name wrong earlier. So we're going to skip a few verses, but while the, the false prophets, they put on this kind of pep rally and they build some props for the king. Hey, wear these horns when you go into battle and you're going to be victorious and you're awesome. While they're doing that, they send a messenger to find Micaiah and they tell Micaiah, okay, look, you just need to come in and go along with everything. Go along with the story. Just agree to what we all said. So verse 15, it says, When he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, word for word, what the other prophet said. Go up and succeed, and the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Then the king said to him, How many times must I adjure you to speak with, to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? I... That's why I read it the way I read it. I think Micaiah must have said this in a way that was not very convincing. Right? He says the words, but he's like, yeah, yeah, good. Go do the thing you want to do. And the king's like, no, all right, tell me what you really think. Verse 17, so he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, they... Uh, these have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? It's like, see, he's a meanie. Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. Okay, so, biblically, we always find that on the right, is the, that's the position of favor, right? And on the left, is the position of disfavor. There, toward the end times, we get this picture of God sorting out souls, basically. We've got sheep on the one side and goats on the other side. You may be familiar with that. So, all the host of heaven, this is all the spiritual beings. That means these are not all just good angels, right? We find in the book of Job that Satan himself still has access to the throne of God. He can go walk up to God and go, hey, let me go mess with that guy. And so the, he's got good and evil there, basically. Verse 20 uh, it says, the Lord said, who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. So what kind of spirit do you think this is? 
This is one from the left, right? This is a, a demon, basically. Verse 22, the Lord said to him, how? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, you are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. That's a, really a whole other sermon, but the fact is that God is sovereign. There is evil in the, in the world, uh, but God allows certain things uh, to bring about his desired results. But what we do see here is there's a temptation, there's a trial that's going to come into Ahab's life. Now, God never tempts anyone, the Bible tells us, but he does use our temptations, he does use our failings to teach us things about ourselves. He gives, because this temptation gives, him, gives you the chance to respond to God's word, right? You have, the, you have the choice to fall prey to it or to fall back on him in obedience, right? You can do what you want what your flesh wants, or you can do what God says. And so Ahab, he likes to hear what he wants to hear, because he wants what he wants. And so he's not listening to Micaiah. He's, he's going with the, the majority crowd, the crowd of uh, false prophets. And one thing Ahab knows, because he's already been to war with Syria, is he knows how they work, how they fight. And he knows that more than anything, they want to capture the opposing king so they can humiliate him torture him. He knows they're going to focus on capturing the king. So this is what he does, is he goes to Jehoshaphat and convinces him, you know what, you should dress in all your kingly robes. Like, look more kingly than ever. I'm just going to wear some normal armor and look like a normal soldier, but you should look like the biggest king ever. You know, because he wants what's best for Jehoshaphat, right? Now, he's, he's putting a big bullseye on Jehoshaphat. He goes, when we go into battle, they're going to see you. I'm going to be dressed like a corporal. And there's no way they can even pick me out of the crowd. And uh, so he goes into battle in disguise. And uh, we're, we're kind of skipping a few verses. But the, the Syrian troops actually approach Jehoshaphat. They're ready to capture him. And they realize this isn't the guy we want. This is some other king. And they let him go. And then in verse 34, it says, Now a certain man drew his bow, what? At random. And struck the king of Israel in a joint of the armor. That means just a little crease between the breastplate and the shoulder plate. Just this one little spot. There's no way that anyone would ever hit that. But he just pulls his bow at random, strikes the king of Israel in a joint of the armor, uh, so he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded. Just at random, right? It's almost like God is sovereign or something. So they retreat, everyone runs home. Verse 37, it says, so the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king of Samaria. Or buried the king in Samaria. They washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, now the harlots bathed themselves there, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, in the ivory house which he built, and all the cities which he built, 
Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, became king in his place. Okay. So those two stories may not seem all that related, right? But here's the thing is Ahab, he, he just wants more and more, right? He, he starts off by murdering one person to acquire some ground. Now he leads thousands of people into a battle they shouldn't be in. Thousands of people die so he can try to have some more ground that he doesn't need, that he'd already given his word that he wouldn't take. You know, people around us influence us more than, uh, more than we realize. Ahab listened to Jezebel more than God. He listened to his false prophets more than God. Jehoshaphat listened to this, this crowd of liars over the one dissenting voice of truth. So we've got to choose carefully the people that we allow to influence us. We need, you need someone in your life who will tell you the truth, right? Who will tell you the thing you don't want to hear. You need that person who will speak the truth even if it could cost them the relationship. So what is it? Faithful are the, uh, the words of a friend. I'm, rem- I'm remembering it backwards. And uh, deceitful are the kisses of the enemy. But we need to choose carefully who we allow to influence us. Sin will always be dealt with. God isn't mocked. And the biggest thing is that the mercy of God is, is extended to anyone who will receive it. Yeah, we see Ahab has a, a bad end to his life. Because he chose it. But God gave him mercy after mercy. We're going to go to one more scripture before we close. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Here's the thing is if you've trusted Jesus for eternal life, if you're a Christian, if you've been making some selfish decisions, chasing more rather than chasing more of him, God is merciful and he honors repentance. You know if that's true of you or not. And if we turn from it and turn to him, he, he will absolutely honor that. But if you don't know him yet, if you're carrying around shame, his mercy is more. We sing about that earlier. His mercy is, is more. If you come to him, he will absolutely forgive you. And he will apply the payment of Jesus' sacrifice to your account. As a matter of fact, his mercy has already been applied to you through the death and resurrection of Jesus if you would just simply trust him for it. You know, what you want never never truly satisfies. What you need 
is Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you that your mercy is, is beyond our understanding, is more than we deserve. Lord, I just pray for each and every person here and listening online that, Lord, that we would be listening to the right voices, that we would listen to your word over the crowd, that we listen for the voice of truth over the, the crying out of our flesh for more. Lord, that we would recalibrate our spirits to be in line with you. Whatever it is that we feel like we need more of, Lord, help us to see that what we need is to find our joy, our peace, our hope, our love in you. We may be under the impression that we would be happy if we had more of something or some person. Although we know that uh, fulfillment only comes in and through you. We pray that we would uh, be filled with your spirit, with the joy that only you can bring. Well, we pray that everyone here would be listening to the right voice and not the crowd. Lord, we pray for your will to be done in our lives, that you bless us, watch over us, keep us safe, and that you come and come quickly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ready?